You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We've been going through the letters to the churches at the beginning of Revelation. Today is our, our final uh, uh letter to the churches, so we'll be wrapping up our, our very brief study at the beginning of Revelation um, today. Uh, and, and what happens at the beginning of Revelation is Paul, or John, is writing these letters that Jesus has given him to the churches uh, in the area of Asia Minor, uh, Turkey-ish, if you want to know where, where that is kind of on the map today. Um, and, and so he's writing these letters, and these letters typically have uh, some praise for the church, a little uh, encouragement to improve something in the church or to stop doing something that was sinful uh, in the church, and then uh, kind of a final like, hey, and if you'll do that, uh, you're going to conquer. You're going to be victorious with Christ because the way the book of Revelation reads, um, if you were to go through the entire book of Revelation, uh, which, spoiler alert, maybe for some of you who haven't got there yet in your Bible reading, uh, Jesus wins at the end. That's how the story ends. Um, Jesus comes back with, with power and with might, uh, and, and, and through his power uh, binds Satan and death and the grave and throws them all into the pit of fire. And at the end of it, a new creation is made, new heaven, new earth, uh, where, where, where Christ uh, reigns uh, alongside of his Father, uh, and we rule alongside of Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a story of Jesus' victory that we get to vicariously participate in. Uh, very similar to me vicariously participating in a state championship, right? I, I didn't do anything uh, to help help win a state championship for my daughter's basketball team, but because I was there cheering for them, like I got to feel the joy, at least a fraction of the joy, um, that those girls who put in all the work and practice and everything did um, to get there. Right? We live vicariously through it. In this case, we get to vicariously rule because Christ has already conquered. And so the end of Revelation always has this conquering and, and new heaven, new earth picture, and all the letters kind of end with a picture of that too, right? That after the conquering is done, after the war has been won, after Christ has won, you have a part in God's eternal kingdom. And that's, that's a huge story for us Christians, right? That we have a part that doesn't stop at the end of this life. Like we have a, we have a part in what God is going to do in this forever kingdom uh, alongside of Jesus. It is a neat uh, and encouraging factor in there. And usually, though, you get the praise, the condemnation, you move on. Last week, we dealt with the Church of Philadelphia, and it was all praise. There was no condemnation. The church was uh, being persecuted, and they were poor, and they had no power, um, but they were being faithful. In the midst of all the suffering they experienced, they were being faithful. And so Christ just wanted them to know, I see you in your faithfulness, and you, it's not unseen. You keep doing what you're doing. And that was a, a message of encouragement for us, because a lot of times we feel... Right? We feel like we're not very important in what's going on in the world around us, that we become invisible, um, and it doesn't matter what we do because no one sees it anyways, and God sees it. And if you're faithful in the little bit that you have, whatever that little bit that God has put before you, like if you'll be faithful with that, right? God sees that, and he rewards faithfulness. And so there's an encouragement just to be faithful and where you are today, we get the opposite of that, right? Instead of being a, a totally good church, we deal with a church that has absolutely nothing uh, commended about it. It's the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. This is what uh, Jesus writes to the church. Uh, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, 
the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Excuse me. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself uh, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so this letter uh, is written to the church at Laodicea, and and Jesus always begins with a picture of who he is, and it's always a little different. In this case, uh, he describes himself as the Amen, which is a reference back to like Isaiah 65 or 68, Um, and and also uh, as uh, the faithful and true witness uh, in the church of Laodicea, needed a faithful and true witness because there was no faithful witness to be found in the congregation. Right? A lot of the letters were like, all of you people are doing all this nasty stuff and following these false teachers. Uh, well, there's a couple of you who aren't. Right? So like, at least there's some of you haven't yet bowed your knee. Some of you haven't yet. In this church, there was no one that Jesus could point to and be like, oh, that person right there, look to them. Follow their example, right? You encourage y'all to stay faithful and other people can, can model you. The whole church had fallen prey uh, to, to this, uh, well, really to some sort of sluggishness towards the gospel. And so he says, look, look, I am the faithful and true witness. And y'all don't have anyone else to look at. Like, it helps to have mentors to look at. I've had mentors in the faith. I've been very fortunate. Uh, my, my, my pastor that I grew up under, uh, mentored me uh, early on in my ministry experience. Uh, my youth pastor of record mentored me early on in my experience. My last pastor um, at the church that right before I came here, seven years ago, uh, spent five years mentoring me. You guys are very lucky uh, that those people poured into me over those years because I don't know what I would be because I'm still a mess. And that's with a lot of work <laughs> to make me what I am today. Uh, my father, right, right, poured into me over the course of my, my, my entire life. My father-in-law has poured into me for, geez, 20, 21 years of marriage almost, right? 21 this year? So 20, 20 years of marriage plus a few years of dating. Uh, he's been instrumental in, in my spiritual development. I've had all these people mentoring me. And if you have people to look to, the Christian walk is a lot easier. Or if you have a person or some people uh, that you can do in community with and you can kind of share life together, and maybe they're a little further down the road than you, and they can kind of pull you along with them. Right? But in this church, they didn't have them. There was no one to look to. There was no older saints. The, the, the model of the church that Paul gives us uh, is that the older men should teach the younger men and the older women should teach the younger women. And it, through doing that, the, the faith continues on and is strengthened, and you always have a role, right? You will always have a role. If you're an older man, you have a role. Your role is to mentor younger people. If you're a younger man, your role is to find someone to mentor um, who's above you. 
right? And if you're a young woman, to look up to some of the older ladies and, and vice versa, right? We have a role, but in a church where there's no faithful witnesses, first of all, that's not really a church, it's just a, a gathering, right? Like if, if the church ceases to have faithful witnesses, it's just a gathering of people hanging out underneath the sign. There are churches in America today, by the way, who, who, who probably have no faithful witnesses inside of them now, right? You can go to the church on a Sunday morning, and they may have you know, 500 people in the room, but there's not one person in there who's a faithful witness. Sometimes I see stories of, of churches. I, I like to pick on the, uh, the Unitarian Church of Canada because, uh, man, those people are crazy up there in the, in the UCC churches. But you get up there, and you look at the, what's going on at the United, United Church Cross Canada, and you're like, my goodness, these people are crazy. Like, and there can't be a faithful witness there. If there is, I don't know how they haven't succumbed to just insanity at this point in their life. But in this church, there's no faithful witness. And so Jesus says, since there's no faithful witness here, like don't look at your pastor who's a heretic, and don't look at your, 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 your deacon and your, and your elders of the church because they're all lost as well. He says, I am the amen and the faithful and true witness. Like set your eyes on me. Right? Set your eyes on me. I'm the one that you can watch. There's no one else out there who you can look to. So set your eyes on me. Paul encourages us, right, to, to imitate, imitate me. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? When there's no one imitating Christ, well, then just, just, just imitate Christ yourself. Find who Jesus is. Get back to the core of the gospel, the core of who Jesus is, and imitate him. So, so he is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And then it continues on, and he gets into the problem in the church. And he says the problem in the church in verse 15 is that he knows what they do, their works, and they're neither hot or nor cold, no cold nor hot. And he says, I wish you were either one, but since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Some translations say I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It is not a pretty picture of how God handles lukewarm things. Uh, and then the picture really, like the, the reason that, that, that hot and cold, it's not that cold is like apostate and bad and wicked, and hot is righteous and good. Sometimes we think that way, right? Like if we're hot, that means we're on fire for Jesus. And if we're cold, that means the flame has died down. Uh, in this case, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying like hot water and cold water are both good for their own purposes. There were hot springs in a neighboring town from Laodicea. Um, and they were medicinal springs. People would go there and they would go take a soak in the hot springs. And, and I guess we, we did that here, right? We got hot springs, Arkansas. You can go up to Colorado and there's some hot springs out there. And you say, man, there's some medicinal value in the hot water. It's a positive hot water. But cold water also has this, this, this kind of like sense of like medicinal value. And so the other neighboring town, the opposite direction from Laodicea, had, like a, had good cold water. Right, and some of you have been out camping or somewhere, and you've gone to a, a stream, right, right, that, that's that, that's pristine, and the water coming out of that is like just above ice. I mean, it is cold water. That's exactly what your body craves in that moment, right? You're like, man, that is that's perfect. And so Laodicea is surrounded by these towns, one with hot water, one with cold water, and their water source was bad, it was undrinkable water that they had in their source. So they piped their water in. Y'all are familiar with the Roman aqueducts? If not, you can go look it up. It was a pretty big deal. They had pipe systems to carry water around. But they would bring the water from the cold water place. But by the time it made its journey all the way across, like it was tepid water. Like it wasn't good water. It wasn't tasty water. It lost any of like the, oh, this is good for you water. It's like, oh, that's water. I guess that's what we have, right? Uh, Right, it's Rockdale water, right? Right, you can 
Uh, I'm a Rockdale resident. Uh, I drink my Rockdale water. It's twice filtered before it goes in me. Uh, but man, sometimes the baptistry specifically, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, this is a very weird symbol for purity right here. Because uh, it's kind of translucent instead of transparent, right? Right, uh, but, but he says, look, I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were, you were good in some way. Instead, you're just tepid and, and, and wicked. Like, there's nothing good about you, right? And you think about like food, you get food that's served hot, and you're like, oh, this pizza's great hot. And you go put it in the fridge and get out the next morning, and you're like, hey, this pizza's great cold. You just leave it on your counter overnight, and you're like, this pizza's probably going to kill me, right? Like, like at that point, room temperature is not the right temperature to be eating things, right? It's not good for you. The church in Laodicea had nothing good. They weren't doing anything good. God looked at their works. Jesus saw what they did, and he saw there was nothing good about what they were doing. But they thought they had it together. See, the Laodicean church is the most like, easy to, 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 to attach to the American church. Because the problem in Laodicea is that they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And instead of doing what they were supposed to do, they relied on what they had. And so they were wealthy. Uh, the little town of Laodicea was, was a fairly affluent little trade center. And so they had money and they had resources. And the church, obviously, since they were prospering, were not holding themselves separate from the, 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 the pagan festivals and whatnot. So they were participating in anything they needed to do to, to advance their commerce. And so they probably had like the nicest building in the area, right? They probably had the, you know, the, 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 the most paid staff members. That wasn't a thing back then, but this is for our purposes today, right? You have the nicest building. We have the most paid staff members. We've got the, you know, we've got everything that you'd want. We have programs for this and programs for that. And we've got a consultant coming in to do this. And we have all the resources that a church could ever need. But churches don't need resources, but churches, churches don't need, uh, I mean, like, we, we have an offering, so I've already mentioned that today. I guess, I guess like, we, we do take resources to, to keep the doors open. But if your church is empowered by the dollars that are given to it, your church is ceasing to be a church. Your church should be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit going through the membership of a redeemed, regenerate church membership of believers, individuals sitting on pews from the front pew to the back pew, which we always load up in the Baptist church, right? From the very first person to the very last person, from the youngest person to the oldest person, filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered through that, right? The money does not make the church. But in the Laodicean church, they fell prey to thinking that what they had was a sign of God's blessings on them. And since they had a lot, since they had everything they needed, since they were prosperous and they were rich, uh, they could look at their fellow neighbor churches and be like, well, we're, we're doing just fine. Like, like you, know, you look back at Philadelphia, this small church that had no power and no money, no influence. And you can imagine what the Laodicean church would say about them. Man, have you heard what's going on in the Philadelphia branch of the church? And they're like, yeah, they're really struggling. I don't know what's going on with them. They must have some problems over there because we're doing great. Maybe we, should, maybe we should send them some money. Maybe we should take some of what we have and just send it over there because, like, man, we're doing, we're doing so good. God's been so good to us. But, but financial blessings are not necessarily a sign, not necessarily a sign of God's pleasure with you. You know this because, like, if we like I mean, world events right now, Right, what's going on in our world today, if you're unaware, um, is pretty chaotic. Like, I got a 19-year-old son uh, and a 15-year-old son, 
Like, and I'm looking at the world around me right now, and I'm like, this is not the prime time to have 19-year-olds. It's really not. Right? Like, because like, we're, like, we're a couple of, like, major decisions from 19-year-olds picking up guns and jumping on airplanes and going over there. Like, we're a couple of decisions. And then I don't even know, like, I don't, I don't know the right path forward. Um, pray is, is our path as a church. Right, pray for, for, for peacemakers um, to be found in the midst of that. Right, pray for God's um, perfect will to be done, but ultimately that, that, that peace could reign because it's, it's a dangerous world that we live in. But, but you know, like there's, there's, there's this, um, I got lost in my thought there as I started thinking about my son going off to war, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, this church here, this Laodicean church, they had, they had everything they needed, but they, they, they didn't actually have Jesus. And God saw it. He saw through their wealth. He saw through their affluency. He saw through what they, what they thought they possessed. And he said, y'all are bankrupt spiritually. He praises the poor and he, and he condemns the rich. It sounds a lot like Jesus, by the way, if you read the New Testament, right, right where Jesus deals with rich people. And he's like, this is going to be hard for you guys, rich people. And then he goes to the, the, the poor people and he's like, be like this. Like, blessed are the poor, right? It's so much easier for them. And then we get to the rich, and we're like, okay, this is going to be hard. Oh, that's where I went with the thing, like the divine favor. Like God's divine favor isn't found through financial well-being, because you can look at like the, the leader of Russia, uh, who I think, uh, I, I feel probably bad guy, right? I, I feel good enough saying bad guy publicly. He poisons people who don't like him um, and invades countries just because he can. So, so we'll say Putin bad guy. You, if you have a more nuanced view of Vladimir Putin, we can talk about it later. I suppose I'm open to be convinced, maybe. Um, <laughs> But he's a bad guy. But you know what he has a lot of? Resources, money, wealth. Is that a sign of God's pleasure with him? God's like, man, good job poisoning everyone who's opposed to you. Like giving them radioactive tea and slowly killing them from the end. No, that's not a sign of that. Like the world system is not always perfect, right? And so there are wealthy people and affluent people who are just as vicious and tyrannical um, as people who are, are strung out and can't, can't rub two nickels together because of their sin, right? God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. We live in a world that has, like, the sense of, our sense of justice does not get met on this side of eternity. It will, by the way, on the back side. But on this side, it doesn't get met uh, there. And so this church thought they had everything. They probably saw God's favor because they had everything that they needed and they were blessed. But really what they were doing is they were just compromising every chance they get. So like, hey, you want to make a deal with the, this major businessman here in town? Well, to make that deal, you have to go and you have to offer sacrifices to you know, the emperor with him. And when you make the emperor sacrifice alongside of him, then you get the contract for whatever that is. And the church said, that sounds fine with me. I'm okay offering sacrifices to that guy. I'm okay bowing down to worship the emperor with that guy. I'm okay with compromising here. I'm okay with compromising there. And if you compromise enough... Like, you're just one of the world. The American church today, now fast forward to this day that we live in to right now, we are a church of compromisers. We love to compromise. <laughs> but just, it's just, just a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, a little bit there. We just, we just keep kicking that rock down the, the, the road a little bit. And at the end of it, like, we're no longer on the road. Right, right? Jesus, like the Christianity initially was known as the way, Right? Like, and we're, we're not on the way anymore. We're somewhere else. We're on byways far, far away. Uh, I like the book Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, it's not too difficult to understand what John Bunyan was shooting at for, since everything he names is specifically what he is. 
He's like, so you're dealing with greed today. And I'm like, hey, I'm greed, or whatever. Like, Man, that guy's name is right on the nose. Um, but you read Pilgrim's Progress, you see this guy, and he's trying to make his way through, the, through life, and uh, he, he finds Jesus along the way. And, and as he's going, everyone else is trying to drag him into other byways, and, and the church can get so distracted. We just compromise along the way, and it's not a big deal here. It's really not a big deal there. But you do enough not big deals, and so all of a sudden you are so far away from where you're supposed to be. Right? You are so far from where God intended to be. The Laodicean church had nothing noble about them. They didn't know it, though. If, if the, this message, when this letter was read to the church in Laodicea, I guarantee it, they were like, yeah, he must have like misspelled something, because that is not our church. Right? They didn't know it. And the American church is a lot like that. We don't see the fact that our affluency is oftentimes not a sign of God's divine blessing and favor on us. It's a sign of our like just total capitulation to the world around us so that we play by the world's rules and then we've been favored by the world and so now we have resources based on the world. And I don't know if you know this, but the ruler of the world today is not the good guy. It's not. Right? right, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Right? He's in charge here now. Now, he won't be in charge forever. I could just read, I don't know, get down a little bit into Revelation, and you will see that he doesn't stay in charge forever. But there's a capitulation inside of the American church, and there's a capitulation inside of the, 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 our country as a whole, and so we just compromise constantly, and we are so affluent. We're so, like, like, like the poorest person in this room today if we were to pick you up and just fly you over to like a developing nation uh, and you kept the pay that you made today, you would be like a, a king in that little region that you're dropped off in. Uh, years ago, my wife and I were looking at adopting from Ethiopia uh, and we did a thing in the international poverty level. Uh, and this was uh, more than a decade ago, maybe, maybe almost 15 years ago, was a dollar twenty-five a day. If you made a dollar twenty-six a day, you were not poor according to world standards. I mean, just for inflation, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's two fifty today, right? But 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 it's almost nothing. It's almost nothing. And we, I mean, we spend two dollars to get like half of a coffee, right? Like I mean, like like it's nothing. We're so affluent. Right, the church in Laodicea was so affluent. They thought they had everything they needed. They thought that everything they, they, they could provide for themselves. And then they thought the answer, like the American church, the answer to all of their problems was more of the stuff that caused the problem to begin with. So more money. Like if we just had more funds, then we'd be able to do it. If we had, if we had another, if we had another uh, little bit of money here, if we had a little a windfall of cash come in, we'd be okay. But money doesn't solve the problems that the church has because the church isn't fighting financial problems. God's resources aren't limited. This is why whenever we get into budgeting and stuff as a church, like I want us to be wise and I want us to be faithful and I want to be good stewards. I'm glad we have treasures and people who are smart enough to understand like, Matt, that's kind of not reasonable right now and like just, just pump the brakes just a touch. But like I trust that God has the resources we need if the ministry we're doing is spirit-led. Like if we're going where God tells us to go, God's going to supply what we need. Like and you may not, Selfish, stingy. You, you may not supply what we need, but God has this under control. 
Right? I think about Feed Rockdale, which is, which is a, a, it's a wonderful ministry of our church. If you're not familiar with it, what it is, uh, over about like seven or eight weeks in the summer, once the school uh, is no longer providing lunches, um, our church steps in and provides lunches uh, to everybody, every child 18 and below in Rockdale who desires to have them. Um, we deliver them, we pack, cook, prepare, and deliver uh, those lunches to every child who wants them. Now, not every child uh, gets them because they, they, they don't want them. But every child who wants them, it's 250, 275 kids that we deliver to uh, every single day, four days a week, to be fair, four days a week, we deliver to. Uh, and when it when kind of came around to this idea, looking at the issues in our town and in our community, saying this is a way for us to make an impact, to meet a physical need that will also bring us into the spiritual world of these families, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of, like, concern, because, like, feeding 275 people four times a week is not, not inexpensive. In fact, it's, it's actually fairly expensive ministry to do. Um, but like it seemed like what God was wanting us to do, so we said, okay, we're going to do it. And we've done it for four years. Four years, this will be year five, I think, when we get into this summer here. And uh, we budget every year for it. It's on the budget. We make sure we have a line item for it. Uh, we have never spent a dollar out of the line item budget, right? Because God says, oh, I'm going to provide for this. Some of you, by the way, are God's vessels in that. So thank you for those of you who are like, high five to you guys, right? But, but, but if it's God's ministry done God's way, God's got the resources to cover it. And we just listen to what God wants us to do, right? I truly believe that. Like, and, and so like, there's got to be people to slow me down sometimes, but like, well, I believe it. The Laodicean church had the other thing. It's like, if we have the resources, if we have the money, then we can do the things. We got the money. We do whatever we want. Churches today fall into that. We'll, we'll hire another staff. We'll hire another staff. We'll hire another staff. Right? We, we've slowly outsourced the job of parenting to professional Christians. Like, so, so here's a, a children's pastor. Right? We have a children's pastor who's dedicated uh, to, to helping get your child spiritually prepared. Uh, and then once they're done with that, we get them a youth pastor, and then they'll be spiritually prepared. And once we're done with that, we should have a young adult pastor, right? And that's for the 18 to 25-year-olds. And we're going to get them there and get them ready for that. And then after that, uh, I don't know what you get there. Maybe just a pastor eventually somewhere along the way. And I'm not opposed to that. If you have a church that's large enough that requires uh, programs and things to make things work, I'm not opposed to employing the, those positions. I've worked in one of those positions for a decade. So I'm not anti-youth pastor or children's pastor or even young adult pastor. What I am is anti-taking the role of the parent away and outsourcing it to, the, to, to some random person. If you're a parent here today, like you're, you're the one vested with that authority and throwing money at the problem, moms and dads, saying, like, I'm going to pay someone else to do this doesn't take up for the fact that you're the one who's supposed to be doing this. You have a responsibility to, to invest in your children, to, to mentor your children, to call your children um, to repentance when they need to repent. You are responsible for your child's spiritual, like, well-being. Ultimately, they're going to make a decision of faith or not, but, but you're responsible part of that. The church of Laodicea just kept throwing money and money and money. And because they had all the money, they felt they had everything. But Jesus saw through it and said, no, you don't have everything. You're poor, you're naked, you're blind. So what do you need to do? You need to stop all of that. You need to come buy gold from me, right? From me, my gold, my wealth. Seek my goods. Get, get eye medicine from me so you can see, actually see what you are, right? right? Come to me and I'll answer you. And then he goes down uh, in, verse, in verse 20. And he's like, look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the idea is that, that Jesus is there 
going to the church and saying like, hey, can I participate in what you're doing? Which is kind of a sad picture of Jesus standing at the door of the church saying, can I come in to my church today? There's a lot of churches that do not want Jesus to come in and sit with them because if Jesus comes in to the church, you are no longer in charge. A lot of churches... That there's a few families, a few individuals who are in charge. They want to be in charge. Maybe it's the pastor. A lot of church, the pastor is in charge. He's the dude. Don't come at the Lord's anointed. They'll tell you that from the pulpit, by the way. That's scary. Um, right? But sometimes it's a, a deacon family in a Baptist church. A lot of times you get a couple deacon families together or something like that. Uh, maybe it's, it's, you know, when I came here and I interviewed, there was a couple of ladies. Uh, and I was like, these people are very important because they would ask me a question. And then I would answer the question, and then everyone looked at these ladies. Um, be like, what the, do they approve of this guy's answer? Right here. Apparently, they did, because uh, I'm here. Um, <laughs> right? But sometimes it's a couple of, of ladies who, who, who are invested in the church. Right? But, but, but if Jesus is going to come in, Jesus is going to take control. He is in charge of that. And there's this supper uh, that, that he's inviting you to. Right? Here's the supper he's inviting you to. And he wants to sit with you and eat with you, but not on your terms. It's not on your terms. It's not on what you want. It's on his terms. He desires that. And so, so how do you come to him on his terms? You repent, all right, and then you stand faithful. Right? You repent of whatever it is that you've got going on. Your, your reliance on your wealth, your reliance on your own, your own abilities, your self-reliance, you repent of that, and then you are found faithful in Christ. And at that point, then you're welcome to the feast. And God is not picky on who comes to the feast. I mean, read the, read the story of, of Jesus going out and uh, telling the parable and inviting people to come to this wedding banquet. And the guy goes out to, the, to, to invite the, the, the important people in the town, and all the important people in the town have something better to do. Oh, I can't. I got a thing. I got to go. Yeah, maybe I'll make an appointment later. We'll see if I can come by after hours. We'll be there maybe. I don't know. Don't, don't hold your breath. The servants come back. Hey, we didn't get a great response. He says, go out again to the next class of people, right? The, the second class, and they go out, and they get a, another sort of like, eh, man, I don't know, maybe sort of, kind of, I don't know. We'll see if we get there. He's like, just go find anyone who's wanting to come and bring them in. And they go out into the highways and the byways and the fields. And that feast that Christ has invited all to Right, you're invited to as well, but not on your terms. You don't set the terms of his invitation. When he invites you, you don't say, well, but first let me do this. You're invited to come and to feast with the king. And if you're invited, you should respond. Now, RSVP, yes. And some of you, if you got kids, you need to add a plus one or two or three or four or five, and you need to work like a dog to prepare the ground for your kids to hear the gospel message. If you've got a spouse who's an unbelieving spouse, you need to prepare the ground with your unbelieving spouse. It's difficult, I understand. I'm not saying it's not, but, but we don't come on our terms. We come because he asks us to come. We lay down all of our wealth. We lay down all of our resources, and we recognize that God is in charge of all of that. Instead of holding everything so tightly and thinking that we're in control, we lose control for a minute to the one who is ultimately sovereign over all things and has perfect control. Guys, Jesus has you. 
And so you don't have to hold on so tight to your 401k and your, and your retirement funds and everything out there. I'm not telling you to be wasteful. Please don't hear that. And this is not a plea to fill the plates. I'm just saying, don't find your security in the resources that you've been able to acquire throughout your life. Right? Just seek God and live. Because if, if that'll happen, you'll be, you'll be found there with the one who conquered and you'll be able to sit down with the Father on the same throne beside the Father, beside the Son, alongside of Him and ruling and reigning. What a wonderful, beautiful thing. But Lord, there is no place at the table for the lukewarm. And if you're here today and your deeds are wicked and there's nothing good in them and you're selfish and you're stingy and you think it's because you've got this stuff, I want you to know there's not a place for you at the table like that. So lay that stuff down and come to the table. He's inviting you to come to his table. And how do we respond to that? Well, it's, it's, it's real simple. It's, first of all, I was talking to a young girl this, this week. Right? It begins with knowing that we're sinners, that we're separated from God because we've chosen sin. Anything you think, say, do, breaks God's law, makes them sad, that's sin. Right? And, that, and that can be a lot of things. But, but, but if you're honest, you've got your share of it. Recognize that sin separates you from perfect God. God is perfect. You are not. And no matter how hard you try, you only get worse. You have a perfect day. You stay equally bad towards God. Right? And then you have a bad day, and you just move further down. Eventually, my arm runs out of room. I can't get over there any further. But you just keep going, and God stays still. You're perfect every day of the rest of your life. That gap between you and God that starts right now doesn't close. Your goodness doesn't close the gap because God's not being bad to bring himself back to you. Right? So your goodness can never get you there. That is the bad news of the gospel. You can't get to God. There's nothing you can do to get to God. But God, what a beautiful phrase that is, but God sees that problem. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins so that he could bring you to him. Christ lived a righteous, perfect, holy life. And he died on the cross so that your sins could be covered. And so when Jesus uh, died for you and you received Jesus, say, I believe in Jesus, I confess him as my Lord. In that moment, your sins are washed away. And if you were to die in that moment, you were to stand before the righteous God of the universe who's never sinned. And you know your history. You know what you've done. You know your sin count is immeasurably high. But when you stand before him and the righteous judge of the universe says, why should I let you into my heaven? The son stands in front of you and says, dad, this one's with me. And instead of going in on your righteousness, you're piggy off of his. And he takes you with him. That's how you get into the, th- that, that, that's the, the way, right? That's the way Jesus is the way to receive eternal life. And if you haven't done that today, guys, I want to implore you, I want to beg you, I want to to, to, to just ask you to seek inside of yourself. What are you trusting for your salvation? Is it what you can do, what your resources are, what you know? Is it that you're pretty good compared to the person next to you? Right? Like, if you sit next to me, you look pretty good, guys. I'm not going to lie. Right? But, but, But I am not the measuring stick for holiness. And Hitler, which is the measuring stick we like to use for holiness because we all feel pretty good compared to him, <laughs> right? Like, like Hitler is not the measuring stick for holiness. Being better than Hitler means you didn't kill 7 million Jews. 
nobody gets a prize for not killing 7 million Jews. Right? Not, no one. It's not there. I've never seen, here's an award. Good job. Gold star. You did not try to exterminate all of God's people. It doesn't exist. Now, the only reward is found in righteousness, and you can't be righteous on your own, so cling to the righteousness of Jesus. He will give it to you. It's a free gift. That's why you don't need resources. It's a free gift. Let me pray.